This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This is E-Factor Radio, created by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. And now here's your host, David Wolf. Welcome to E-Factor Radio. I'm your host, David Wolf. Our guest on this segment is a member of the faculty of Haas Business School at the University of California, Berkeley, where he teaches entrepreneurship and innovation as a part of the MBA program. Naeem Safar is also the founder of Concordia Ventures, a company focused on educating and advising entrepreneurs on all aspects of starting and running a business. Naeem did six business startups and has extensive experience in mentoring and coaching entrepreneurs. He was the president and CEO and has held several senior marketing and engineering positions at several technology companies. Naeem did six business startups and has extensive experience in mentoring and coaching entrepreneurs. He's the author of three books on entrepreneurship. Joining us on the line from his offices in Silicon Valley, California, is Naeem Zafar. Naeem, welcome to the program. Thank you, David. How are you? Doing well, sir. Your career has been very rich in terms of growing companies, developing innovative products. Uh, what were the key drivers for you as you built the companies you built? You worked in the marketing and the marketing areas for those companies. Well, I'm basically an electrical engineer uh, by training. And uh, it was I started my first company when I was uh, five, six years into my career, really for my own need because I had an unmet need and I needed better tools. So I said, well, why don't we start a tools company? So that sort of launched my entrepreneurial career and then Bug never left me. Ended up working on another uh, five after that. So question which you asked, what, it, it, it really is the joy of working with really smart people and knowing that you'll have a big footprint. So that's really the two main issues which I think drive most people to be entrepreneurs and be uh, start companies. I think if I have this right, you have an engineering or technology background. Uh, were there companies you ran and, and grew that weren't necessarily technological in their focus? No, the first few companies were all uh, technologies based because uh, I was an electrical engineer myself. But now, in the last five years, since I've been teaching at Berkeley, uh, I'm actually involved with all kinds of businesses and advising or as a board member, which range anywhere from uh, food to retail to fashion to technology. So because same principles apply to no matter what kind of business you're doing, the principles are the same. 
What are some of the key principles as you speak to entrepreneurial students that you want to drill into them, that you want them to understand or that they just not may underestimate or not understand when they start out? So there are a few high-level principles which, which, which uh, I'll mention in a second. But I actually uh, want people, entrepreneurs, to develop a set of personal filters because they're going to have multiple ideas hit them all the time as yeah. they hit me. Which ones are worthy of their time and pursuit? So you have to develop a personal filters so you can filter out kind of dumb ideas from kind of good ideas to really good ideas. <laughs> yeah. And I write about that in my book, uh, ebook, uh, Seven Steps to a Successful Startup. But at a high level, uh, I won't go through the filters here, but to answer your question, what are some of the fundamental principles which apply no matter what kind of startup you're doing, technology or fashion or food or anything else, first, you need to find team members who are complementary to your skills and are the best you can find in the world. Because the quality of the first five or ten people, or even first two people, which dictates the culture of the company, how a company behaves and will act, and what kind of talent will you attract. So that is a principle which is very important. Are you attracting the best kind of people? And to attract that, do you have a strong enough vision and, and qualities that good people want to work with you? Sure. So that's maybe the paramount one. But the other ones are important too. Able to not just spot an unmet need, but have a knack for validating that need by uh, able to talk with customers. Uh, my first two or three companies I started, I didn't talk to a single customer because I thought I was 27 years old. I was so smart. Why did I need to talk to anybody? And I completely missed the mark and cost me three years of my life. So you have to have a knack to talk to customers and have a deep understanding in what is necessary. And then and some other, you, you can go down the list and uh, talk about some other aspects, uh, you know, understanding the business model. How will you make money? You know, who will pay you? How much you have to pay out? What's left? That clarity seems obvious. But it's rare. I was going to ask, do you have entrepreneurs that are perhaps they're so um, in love with their idea or so consumed by the idea itself that they forget about that piece, that revenue model? All of them, including myself in the early days. <laughs> and, and me as well, I understand. Yeah. But, you know, over, over the years, as I've now worked with maybe seven or 800 entrepreneurs in the last you know, 20 years, so now it's, it's more clear to me than it used to be. So this is the, some of the advice I give the people I mentor. You pointed to one uh, misstep, but are there any other sort of, I'll call them, I don't like to use the word mistakes, but, but things you might have done differently that would be instructive for our listening audience at E-Factor Radio? No, the list is long, actually. And, uh, yeah. and, but the good news is, and this is one of the main differences between Silicon Valley culture and some of the other places, that here we celebrate failure. You are much more useful and probably will get a job with a higher pay in the next company if your current company was a spectacular failure. Mm-hmm. The main thinking is that somebody else has paid the tuition for your learning, so I don't have to. So specifically, I think learning is something we talk about quite a bit and don't hide it under the rug. Uh, so in my multiple things which I failed at and learned from, the hardest one is picking the right team members. Uh, really, I am, I'm clarity which is coming to me these days is that there are two kinds of people, uh, or two kinds of philosophies to hiring people, I should say. Yeah. 
uh, either you hire people because of their major strengths or you hire people because they lack major weaknesses. So that, that, those are some of the mistakes. I mean, I can give you a longer list of uh, people mistakes, but those are some of the hardest mistakes. The second one I tell is that validate that there is an unmet need. Don't be a solution looking for a problem. Just because you think there's an unmet need, the key word here is validate. And validation is not what most entrepreneurs do. Most entrepreneurs go to a customer and say, voila, look, I have this wonderful idea. Do you like it? That's not validation. That's attempting to sell poorly. So validation has, you never reveal what, how you're going to solve the problem. You need to put your finger on what is the problem. Where do people even look to solve that pain? How often do they look? How much are they willing to pay to solve the pain? When was the last time they even solved a pain like that? Have they ever history of buying from a startup company? Who makes the decision? Who can kill the decision? How often the decision is made? Those are the questions you have to ask so you have clarity before you go forward. We're visiting with Naeem Zafar. He's the author of Seven Steps to a Successful Startup. That's an e-book, and uh, I imagine there's a website we should give as well, uh, Naeem, please. Yeah, all of the books are listed at naeemzafar.com uh, or my publisher, which is fivemountainpress.com. Okay, thank you for that. You're the, uh, of course, you're a faculty member at the Haas Business School, but you've also created Concordia Ventures. What, what was the genesis of uh, the creation of this company, and, and what kinds of activities are you uh, focused on there? So Concordia Venture is about educating and helping entrepreneurs worldwide. Because, uh, and I'm able to assemble a brain trust uh, with connections I have in the Valley as well as overseas. So when people come for advice, uh, we can put our heads together and give them advice, which ranges anywhere from how do I get started to does my idea make sense to how do I raise money. So that help comes in forms of these e-books, comes in forms of workshops and boot camps, and I'm doing a series of them with eFactor. Uh, as well as uh, teaching in different places and then some one-on-one consulting if, uh, if that's what's required. Many facets of uh, communicating the, for the cause of entrepreneurs. I-, I wanted to touch a bit on the environment now. You're an individual, you're a professional that has built businesses, even taken them public. Give us a sense of the temperature out there right now with respect to uh, inflows of capital into new innovation. So I think we saw Bubble create a very unrealistic uh, investment environment, and it has taken about 10 years for that thing to clean up. Uh, investment environment is different than it ever used to be for a couple of reasons. Uh, first is, it is so easy to start a business now. The cost of starting a business has dramatically come down because of cloud computing, software as a service, able to find resources anywhere in the world like elance.com and having communities like Social Network to find other entrepreneurs and customers. So what used to cost millions of dollars now is, could be done for tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Well, that's good news and bad news. Good news is that many more people can easily start a business. That's great. The bad news is for a venture uh, capital or an investor's point of view, uh, there's just too many people who can start a business. So what's changed uh, specifically to your answer to your question is now VCs and investors look for a lot more traction 
than they may have looked for a few years ago. A few years ago, they would have taken more risk, bet on the team. Now they want to see, not just you have, like if it's an internet-based business, not just you have users, but how many tens of thousands of users do you have and what's the growth rate? So these are new metrics. They want to see a lot more traction before they will, their needle will move. So which means the bar for the entrepreneurs is higher. It is exciting. It's positive and momentum is there and there are more people investing. And So I'm seeing a very positive sea change here. Uh, it sounds like there is a flow and there is willingness to invest in companies that have some traction and some metrics and some validation, as you call well, it. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. In the heydays, I mean, if you take out the year 2000, as an exception, yeah. we U.S. Uh, uh, venture capital industry will invest something around twenty billion a year in startup companies. So the number went down to maybe seventeen or eighteen in the middle of the decade, but it's coming back up, and maybe even will exceed. So we're fairly steady. There's nothing to be compared with what's going on in other financial uh, sectors, because this is uh, risk capital, and when the economy is down, is usually when the talent is more available and. Things are not at chaotic, so a lot of good companies start. That's an interesting picture you paint. It's almost a, a, one of relative stability amidst a relative chaos outside of this innovation space, and that's the first time I've heard it expressed that way. Yeah, even let's look back in history. You know, there was a spate of companies which came out like Facebook and uh, location-based services. When do they all start? They all started in 2002 to 2004 time frame. And what was going on back then? We were just coming out of from the doldrums of the bubble. Yeah. So same thing has happened in the last two, three years. So I'm pretty optimistic about the outlook of uh, innovation we are going to see in the next three years. Where is innovation looking right now for innovation, if I could ask such a preposterous question? Well, so the, there, there are two themes to notice. Uh, one theme is the platform-based computing. So we never had platforms. What's a platform? Platform is that somebody has done like 80% of the work, so you don't have to start from scratch. iPhone, a great platform. You can, you can just focus on using that platform's underlying infrastructure and create something which will run on top of that. Now Android, now uh, Facebook, and then Salesforce.com, Force.com. So there are, these things did not exist 10 years ago. So that has brought a uniformity that has brought for entrepreneurs access to customers and standardization and has made it a lot cheaper to start businesses. That's a huge underlying theme which we should acknowledge. And so there's a second trend which I was going to talk about was about Please. open source. Open source and access to talent anywhere in the world. You know, today you want to do a, some kind of a graphical design thing, you know, you can hire a firm and you'll see three designs and you may like one of them or not. And, you know, it can only be you're tapping into some three designers' creativity if you're lucky. But I can go to an Australian website, 99designs.com. I can put start a contest. And contest means I can say prize is $500. I want to see some examples of either logos or websites or a book cover design. And there could be... 200 entries from all over the world, people who will bid, you can see their entries on the website and select what you like. I mean, that's unprecedented because there's a platform which allows people who have talent to express themselves and they can sell their, their knowledge worldwide. Same thing with the iPhone app. I know entrepreneurs who are making $100,000 a month selling an iPhone app two-people company. So this, kind of, this is the platform computing the beauty that you have unprecedented access 
and, and, and ease of starting businesses, which never was possible before. Name, what is Tycon and, and what role are you playing uh, in that endeavor? Right. So I'm actually involved with two organizations, which, in addition to E-Factor, which may be interesting sure. to your viewers. TIE, or T-I-E, so it's www.tie.org, is the world's largest network of entrepreneurs. This is, we started 15, uh, 17 years ago in Silicon Valley. Wow. Now has 55 chapters in 13 countries and 14,000 members. So the, the TICON is the annual conference which takes place in Silicon Valley every mid, mid-June. And we just had our 17th year. And I was one of the chairmen for uh, boot camps. We did six boot camps as two-day conference. And uh, they were, uh, so that, that was, so I'm a charter member of TIE. So this is an organization which is worth knowing because their chapter may be in a city near you. Uh, secondly, uh, is an organization called Open, uh, which is, and we're doing an annual conference called Open Forum. So OpenSiliconValley.org is that website. Okay. So that's similarly serving entrepreneurs, and you know, eFactory is also a great organization, which is worldwide. How has the social media platform changed the world from where you sit in terms of innovation and in terms of growing companies? Completely. Okay. Uh, and this is really the, we, we just seen the tip of the iceberg. Because when people begin to connect, the social graph they create of each person has a unique social graph will be the next way how we will buy stuff, how the advertising will be done. And the completely marketing and PR rules have been rewritten. And the guy which I follow in this a thought leader is David Meerman Scott. Yes. So DM Scott is the Twitter handle and davidmeermanscott.com. And he wrote a book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, and I had invited him to speak at Tycon this year, and uh, he did. And it, it, so, you know, the book is really eye-opening that what we used to believe, how people used to buy, is completely changing. It's about earning your customer's trust and not and being helpful to them and not pushing things on them. Yeah. That's the way we buy now. Yeah. And so all the companies having to readjust to this new reality. And it brings a lot of new dynamics. There's a trust. Then you need uh, trust jockeys like Yelp or some other people who will do oh, ratings. Yes. It's not so, only subtractive. It's an additive thing as well. Right. As, yeah. right. Exactly. So it creates new opportunities, and new opportunities is always good for entrepreneurs. Well, I love that. So uh, we should mention uh, we've been visiting with uh, Naeem Zafar, celebrated entrepreneur and thought leader in all things entrepreneur and innovation and uh, starting businesses. Well, one last thing I wanted to hit before we close out. What was the give us a sense of the color of going public with a company what was that experience like for you so when we went public it was 1993 and it was completely different experience back then yeah going public was a joy it's joy in multiple ways because a public money is the cheapest kind of fund raising you know it's the lowest cost of raising new funds which is exciting it's the liquidity for the founders and employees which is exciting it brings you new credibility and the whole experience is very high impact fun field full of excitement so it's a very joyous occasion and I still remember clearly the day it happened and how it happened yeah. now because of SOX 404 and a whole bunch of unnecessary regulation that joy is completely gone out of that process now it's a drag it's a drag it right away tax about three million dollars on your cost of running your business the day you decide to go public and number then multiplies every year so we need some serious overhaul 
because we have seen a number of IPOs go down, dwindle down dramatically, and companies in general rather not go public. And that's terrible for American-style entrepreneurship. We really got to rethink this. Naeem, we really appreciate your time on the E-Factor uh, today. Naeem Zafar, the website, www.naeemzafar. Naeem Zafar, thank you so much for joining us on the E-Factor. Thanks for listening to E-Factor Radio. Get more podcasts with your premium membership at efactor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.